Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that we are in the final countdown to shop before Pesach. Orders must be placed by 10 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday night, April 13th. To ship before Pesach, it generally takes a day to get to the tri-state area. So the idea is you place your order by 10 p.m. on Wednesday, we ship it um, on Thursday if it's later in the day, or it will ship out on Wednesday if it is if you order earlier in the day, and then you get it by Friday. Um, I have your entire Pesach wardrobe covered, from dressier pieces for shul to casual year-round dresses that are perfect for Cholomite. We also have some separates. You're covered. Shop all of that in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. And remember, your order must be in by 10 p.m. on Wednesday to guarantee shipment before Pesach. We will be closed starting Friday, April 15th, and reopen on Monday, April 25th. Um, that means that there will be no new episode of Be Impactful next week, but I will be back with a new episode on April 25th. So it's just one week. Good chance to uh, go back and catch up on any episodes that you may have missed or listen to your favorite ones. On to more serious things and today's topic. This episode deals with eating disorders. If you're currently struggling with an eating disorder, please don't listen to this episode now. I am no expert, but I do not believe it to be safe. This is Esther sharing her story. It is not medical advice and should not be taken as such. If you or someone you know needs help, please reach out to the National Eating Disorder Association. Their phone number is 800-931-2237. You can call or text them and they have online chat options as well. Remember that you deserve help. For everyone else, I hope you enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Ricky Itzwitz, and on today's show, I talk with an eating disorder survivor about her recovery. She shares how determination not to gain weight in seminary led to a full eating disorder, what it's like to believe that you don't deserve to eat, what led her to finally get treatment, and how she's doing now. ago, Esther Rubenstein reached out to me with a simple message. I'm ready to share my story with anorexia. Would you want to have me on your podcast? I was truly touched and honored that she shows this show to share her story, which I think is a particularly important one right now as we go into the intense Pesach season. I grew up in England and I'm the oldest in my family. I was quite an independent thinker since I was young. I decided I wanted to switch schools. I In England, we started school at an earlier age, high school at an earlier age. How old do you, how, um, what age do you start high school in, in England? So we start high school at age 11. It goes till sixth, the, the elementary school goes till sixth grade. And then you go to high school until, from 11 till 16. And after 16, um, you either do a gap year or you go to seminary. Oh, Harry so, Potter makes a lot more sense right now. Oh, lol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, I never thought about the, I always thought that 11 was such a weird age to start Hogwarts, but if that kind of makes sense, if that's the way that it works in England. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. digress. Um, so how old were you when you decided you wanted to switch schools? I was 11. Like I didn't go to the, the continuation of my school. I decided I wanted to go to a more open school and more, um, more interesting classes and yeah. And more like open and get to know more girls. I felt like I was a bit closed off. And did you get everything that you were looking for out of the second school, out of the school that you chose? Was it was it the right decision for you? Um, 
I think so. I mean, things happened there that that weren't good for me, but um, overall, I think it was good for me. Um, I think um, I need that like variety and and different types of people and um, yeah. I I hear that. You reached out to me um to to be on the show this is the first time that we're meeting each other a love lovely to meet you um and uh and you said that you wanted to share your story um around uh, around your experience with eating disorders and I think that there's real value in hearing individual people's stories so I'm just going to turn the floor over to you and uh, tell me about it what you know how what happened Okay, so um, I'm not going to tell you all the details because um, it's private, some of it, but I'm happy to share my story and I just don't want to share the real details, because, like the, the underlying details, because like to protect other people's privacy and things like that. So basically, it's, I finished high school at age 16. Um, and in England, um, after, after you finish high school, you go to seminary. The seminary that I went to was um, officially for three years, a very big seminary. And there I was, I wasn't treated well there. Um, I was very like um, misused and I don't want to give too much information about the seminary. I don't know what to do because I don't know. Like That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> you are, I think that what's important to, to note here is that you are, in anyone who is sharing their story around any kind of topic, whether that be something that is easy to talk about or like this one less so, you're still entitled to your privacy. So yeah, that's- and I just want to keep other people's privacy. I don't know how, of course. how much- Of course, okay. yeah, of course. So, so it was yeah. a very big seminary um, with around 400 girls. There wasn't many like staff on top of us and what I heard before going to seminary, what everybody talks about is that um, in seminary, you gain weight. And I was like, that's not happening to me. Like, no way. Um, so in the beginning, I was just like careful. And then I decided one day, I remember the day I decided, I was like, okay, so now I'm like, because I was feeling so um, un and like not accepted of who I was and there was bullying going on um my room wasn't the nicest room to be in with um um there was like girls from all over the world all different mentalities all living together all from different places and different it wasn't very ideal there wasn't really a madricha on top of us so we kind of got to do what we want and we were 16 years old. So um, it's very young, I think. I don't think there's a natural thing for girls to be living together at that age, especially 400 girls in one building. So I decided that I'm not gonna eat. And I decided that like, in, by doing that, I'm, I'm gonna, people are gonna notice me and people are gonna realize that, that wow, I, I'm successful at something. They don't always just use me as, like as uh someone to like do stuff for them or yeah that, that's basically it when you decided was it kind of like from one day to the next you know you say like that you just decided one day that you're going to stop eating was had you previously at any point before that been like had 
I don't want to say dabbled because that feels like a makes it sound like a weird hobby and I don't want to make it sound like that. Um, but do you like, had it been something that you had thought about before or was it really like a light switch that, you know, just from one no. day to the next, I'm going to stop eating. No, I definitely, all, all my years in high school, I, I, I was very worried about how I look. I was always on diets and I was always the one who succeeded on the diets and more than the rest of my friends. Now looking back, I, I can spe specify an incident where it started, um, um, in which I was abused in a certain way. And from then on, I, I felt very bad about my body and about my body image. And um, I always wanted to change it. But like you never got to, I wasn't, I was in a good enough environment that it didn't get so bad. Like I just, I was dieting, but I wasn't like really like not eating, you know? But then once I came to the seminary and things worse, I, I, my, I wasn't with my parents, it's three hours away from home. Um, I could do what I wanted. I was bullied. I was by myself. So then it just came out, I guess. So you make this decision to stop eating. Yeah. What happens next? Because like I imagine you get hungry. Right. First of all, in the beginning, so of course you get hungry, but it goes beyond, like eating disorders are not about not eating. In the end of the day, it's not really about that. It's about a lot of pain, inner pain. A lot of suffering. So, and you, for me in particular, um, my eating disorder came because I did. I feel like I didn't deserve it. Deserve the food. So, it wasn't like. It wasn't like like I was I was hungry, but like my brain didn't let me have the food because I don't deserve the food. I should. I can manage without food. I don't need food. I'm much higher than that, you know. Um, what what is talk me through that? What does that mean? Because I I can't wrap my head around that. What when you say that like you didn't feel like you deserved the food, people need to eat to live. Like did right. you just not think that you needed to? So the with food it's very it's 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 very fine line because there's um there's eating and eating is it's not like breathing which is something you do like automatically it's something you have choice about. Um, and we were learning about a lot about like desires and um, over, overcoming your desire, your desires and things like that. And for some reason, in my head, um, due to previous experiences, also um, it became the connection between deserving and food became um, interconnected. And so when I started punishing myself. That was the way I punished myself when I started um, when I started restricting everything I ate, when anything I wanted to eat. Does that make it clearer? I get, I guess so. I mean, I do think that to a certain extent, I'm never going to be able to wrap my head around this, um, which is which is fine. It's not mine to wrap. It's that's not my job, um, and and that doesn't make your experience any less. The fact that right. I don't get it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Um, right. I, I mean, I'm I'm someone who very much likes to eat, so like the thought like I just it doesn't I can't wrap my head around it which is fine yeah because we don't have to understand it I just want to say something eating this people with eating disorders doesn't mean that they don't like to eat people with eating disorders can love food it's not the actual food that they that they that they um that, that they don't like they it's expressing an inner 
deep problem. Like, okay. like, there's, like there's ways of showing, um, it's, I'll t it's also, it's a, what I feel like when I was in treatment, um, they told me that eating disorders are the cancer or mental illness because the most people die from them and they have the most physical effect on people. And um, people who need the attention um, because they're not getting it and they feel like they don't deserve it, eating disorders often um, is the way they do it because in the end of the day, people see people realize that there's something wrong and at the end of the day you, you go to treatment because it's dangerous does that make sense yeah that makes sense so in a in a way it's kind of like a cry for help in that way if, yeah if I can't get someone to see me for you know excelling in a classroom or I don't know or like having a great voice or being super talented I can get people to notice me if I stop eating yeah I hear that. Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't, but it's not, but it's not like a, just like a, a superficial thing that I want attention. It's usually coming from a place of deep, like, like unfulfilled needs of like that you didn't, you weren't given enough attention when you were, when you deserved it. And I, you feel like I you have that. to do something to your body to show the world that, oh, I do matter. I need attention. Please look at me because this is because I'm struggling. Okay. Yeah. I hear that. That, that, that makes sense to me. So you're 16 and you decide one day that you're going to stop eating. Yeah. What happens next? What happens next is that it goes on for a few months with nobody realized, nobody paying much attention. Um, until I went home and my parents got worried. I went home for like a Pesach break or something. No, Sukkot break. I don't know. Um, and my parents see that I'm losing weight. And then I go back to seminary and girls start um, um, reporting me to the head because they see that all I'm having is gum and rice cakes and I'm not and vegetables and I'm not eating anything and I'm lying in bed the whole day. Um, and then I were, then so then um, I went to a doctor and he had diagnosed me with anorexia. Um, but I was still sure that I'm going back to seminary because in England, everybody goes to seminary. It's a thing that you do. And I didn't want to be different than anybody else. So after Pesach, I have a lot of family in America. So I went to America for a break um, to see if that would help. And then um, I decided I'm going back to seminary. Um, it was Shavuot time when I went back. And I went back and it was the worst decision of my life. Um, I collapsed in seminary and... It was, it was three day Yamtev, so I was on my own and I was very, very, very sick. So um, the next day I just um, left because it was just getting too dangerous. I was really sick. Um, how, how long was it from when you decided to stop eating to when you collapsed in school over that holiday break? So there was a few times I like collapsed in the middle, but this time was really bad because yeah, I had other symptoms also. Um, this was, so it started like after Sukkot, I think, and this was Shavuos. So it was all in the same school year? Yeah. So we're talking about, so Shavuos usually happens like around uh, September, October time. Shavuos is usually like May, June. So figure like somewhere in the six to eight month range, depending yeah. on 
on how you count it. So it is something that, you know, so it's, it's this kind of slow progression. When you were not eating, when you, you know, when you said you're eating gum and rice cakes and lying in bed all day, how did you feel? Like, I, I presume that, f- I would assume, correct me if I'm wrong, that physically you felt pretty miserable. Yeah. Did, were you, emotionally, did you feel great about the control that you had or? It was the one thing I held on to. Everything was falling apart. The, my whole um, social life, like now people were telling on me and I was going to have to be sent home and my my whole my whole identity was the fact that I was the girl who, who didn't eat and looked really, really good because she lost so much weight. It's very hard to give up that identity. So it, um, even though you, you're really suffering physically, um, again, it's coming from an emotional place. It's not, and emotions can take over, like when it gets to this point, it can, emotions can take over, um, what a body needs, what a body, what the mind knows that the body needs, because they're just talk to me about that about that you know that you identified as the girl who looked good. I presume that towards the beginning of your um, of of your of your eating disorder, you were probably getting a lot of compliments around the weight that you were losing until people realized that this was maybe a little yeah. too far, Esther. But the like at what point? Because I mean, at a certain point, I you would. I guess you would stop looking good and just start looking unwell. Talk to me about that, that whole aspect of this. Um, so for me, I didn't go to treatment straight after um, I was sent home from, from seminary. I was losing weight, but I didn't look so scary yet. Um, I was home and it just got worse and worse and worse. With an eating disorder, the goal is just to lose weight and lose weight and lose weight. And you think that once you get to a certain number, you're gonna be um, happy with your weight, and then you'll be, and then you'll be fine. The 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 it's called like an eating disorder voice, which is in your head, which tells you, okay, you're gonna get till there, and then you're gonna stop, and then it's gonna be okay. But it never happens. It just it just the scale, the number on the scale keeps going lower and lower and lower, and it's very scary because. Although you are so in control, you lose control of it. People did start telling me that I look scary. Um, I definitely did. Um, How did you react to that when people said, you know, Esther, Esther, you're looking scary. This is too much. It didn't really faze me. I was like, but I still need to lose weight. So I'm going to continue. Like, And yeah, it, was, it wasn't like a... It, because it's such an inner personal thing, like what other people said to me didn't really make a difference to me. And that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to treat eating disorders because it's a lot within the person themselves. There's no rational rational aspect. You can, you can like have a conversation with them about it because it's not rational. The whole thing isn't rational, but it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's something that, yeah, exactly. Illness is not rational. That's that's the best way to to describe yeah. any of this. So And for a long time everybody tried to rationalize with me and I rationalized with them and I said, "Yeah, I'm just trying to eat healthy." For a long time, even after I was sent in from seminar, nobody really realized what was going on until it really got out of control. So what happened after after you were sent home? Cuz I mean, someone at the school must have said that, you know, this is outside of our this is, you know, we can't handle this to send you home. Yeah, so that 
that time when I collapsed, they told me I'm, I, I, I'm not normal, I can't stay here, which was also very hard to hear. But um, I guess it's kind of true. I, so I went home, I stayed home. I did, a, I did a course in CBT. I was just kind of surviving. Um, I also suffered from OCD, so that was also became very strong. But as soon as as I got more and more sick, and my brain was less and less nourished, the ne- the less rational it could think. So everything just went downhill, and I they tried putting me in treatment. I ran away from treatment. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go in treatment. Um, I said I can work it all out myself. It's all in my brain. I'm just have to, I just have to work out my brain. And like, why should I eat if you're telling me to eat? Like. I decided I don't want to eat, so I'm not eating. And then I, I, I was seeing my GP. I don't know how you say that in, in America. A general practitioner, like a regular doctor, right? Yeah, my regular doctor, and he was trying to help me. He didn't want to get me admitted to hospital, so he was trying to help me. But then it just got too dangerous. I was at a, a weight that was way too low. Um, and he told me he has to refer me to the hospital. Um, so I was sent to hospital and, um, so they, they, he was sure that they were going to, um, hospitalize me, but they said that they can, that there's a procedure when a person with an eating disorder has to start eating again, it's called refeeding, um, refeeding because you have to refeed the body, you have to do it carefully because the body's not used to food. Um, and so they, they monitor it. So they thought, he thought I was going to be hospitalized, but my parents, the, the situation in England with hospitals is terrible. Like the psychiatric wards are not good. So like, like really not good. So my parents really didn't want me to get in to be hospitalized. So they kept me out. Um, and we started doing the refeeding at home. Um, it didn't work. I was, we were, I was given a option of food and I was given an option of Ensure. Um, and I straight away went to Ensure. I, I hope I like Ensure is like a drink, a nutritional drink, which is like a, a meal. Um, yeah, like those, uh, they come in like, they look like those yogurt drinks almost kind of. Yeah, but they're yeah, gross. We, yeah, they're, um, <laughs> So it didn't work. Like I was just, I was just um, getting sicker and sicker. I was like, I, I wouldn't, I stayed in my bed the whole day. I was freezing cold. I was just always on my iPod. I wasn't um, doing anything um, rational. I wasn't allowed to get up. So um, it was just crazy situation. And then so then that's when the, this is when the interesting part happened. Um, my parents decided me, decided to bring me to Israel for treatment. Um, there's a lady here in Israel, a Rabbitson. She's the Biana Rabbitson, actually, who, who brings girls with eating disorders to Israel. Um, and her method is that, like I was saying before, like how an eating disorder becomes an identity. So it's very hard to change your identity when you're in your when you when you're in the place where the identity started and the whole identity is built. So she said, um, bring her here, she'll have a new start, a new everything will be new for her. And that like 
it sounds funny, but it kind of like tricks the eating disorder. Because like you're in a new place, a lot of like eating disorder like, rules are surrounded based on your environment. So if your environment changes, it's it's it's, it's easier to fight it because it's not as strong as eating disorder thoughts. Um, so yeah, I, so it was very like illegal what we did because I was really sick and my doctor was sure they were going to stop me in the borders, but um, they didn't. Pause. Why would it be illegal for you to leave the country? Because I was so sick. Like the do- and my doctor in the hospital told me I- I'm not allowed to fly. Oh, because it was because it was unsafe for you to be on a plane. Yeah, I was too ill. Got it. Okay, so you make it out of the country, and this the program that you went to in Israel was that like a medical program or? Oh wait, so first I was I went to. Uh, to my cousin, and I stayed there for a bit. And I, so the original plan was to go to a clinic in in Israel. Um, and so I, at first, I was too sick to go to that clinic. So the this lady, the Bianca Robertson, she helps these type of girls, and she works with a doctor, and she and she like decides she the doctor writes the meal plan and. Um, together she does it with the person I live by and uh, you're not allowed to have any connection with your family you have to cut off all connection got it but it is a medically supervised program yeah so I was only under her for like a week I gained like a kilo or something and they said I can go to this clinic so I go to this clinic and somebody got confused somewhere along the way like I was telling you about um, the refeeding plan because I never really got to the right amount of food, they gave me in the in the clinic too much food too quickly, and I ended up really 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 ill um, with refeeding syndrome. Um, it's like after World War, like I always compare it to World War Two, like after after the concentration camp, people started eating and they died from eating so much food. So I was admitted to hospital. Um, in a regular kids unit um, for refeeding syndrome. Um, I stayed there for like a month. Um, And my father had already gone back to England. So I was kind of on my own and I didn't really know any Hebrew. It was really scary because like all the Israelis, you know how they come shout at you and everything. And I was just little me, very sick in bed, um, not being allowed to move and having and then making me eat like whatever they and like yeah um so that was really scary um so I was there for like a month um until I stabilized and then I moved out I moved to to a different family and I went back to the clinic however it didn't work I was just losing weight it wasn't it wasn't successful so they referred me to a hospital, a psychiatric hospital with the eating disorder ward um, in Bnei Brak called Maine Aishua. It's a relatively new program. Um, and I was admitted there. And I was there for over a year. Um, and now, I, and that was a very, um, that was an experience not an easy experience at all 
um, we weren't with the psychiatric ward, but we slept on the psychiatric ward. So, so we got this, there's a lot of exposure to things which are not pleasant at all. Um, there's a lot of force used. There's a lot because the, the people there are, are sick and they and they, they can't do it themselves. So they need um, people to force them. In the end of the day, that's what that's what they need. Um, so I was there for a year and a half, and then um, I was doing much better, Baruch Hashem, and I left. I moved to a lady, like a, a family, and I started going to seminary um, here. It's called Chedvas, the seminary I went to. It's for American Israelis, like most, most of the seminaries from Mappi Chemish girls. I did really well there, Baruch Hashem. I really did well there. This lady I was living by, but I was once once I left once I left um the um the hospital I was I went back to this clinic. It's a private clinic, and I'm still by them now. And they really really helped me. They're amazing. They're a team. They really support you on all sides. It's a really amazing place. So I was supposed to um. So no, so the lady who I, who I lived by, um, what came, to the clinic to um to meet with the head and to like learn how to deal with me and how to get me to eat and how you know like how to deal do, deal things but anyway one day she we were she didn't come we were waiting and waiting and waiting um and she didn't come so I was like and it was very strange because she was very on time and like she always was like there very responsible I'm talking about like an older lady she was like in her 60s her husband died a few years ago and she was living alone and I was living with her. Um, and then, so I didn't know what happened. I went um, back home to where I was living and she wasn't there and everything, it was like Thursday afternoon, everything, like the chalice had just come out of the oven, the, the, the apples were just chopped up for the salad. And I come in the house and then her son-in-law walks in and he looks like terrible. And he's like, did you hear what happened? In Hebrew, whatever. Um, and I'm like, no, what happened? Um, basically, um, she was in an accident um, by Tachan Amerikazi. That's the... Uh, um, Central bus station. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she was run over by a garbage truck. Hey. And she died on the spot. And then it was... That was a very uh, traumatic experience also, which which definitely made my recovery harder. Um, but, yeah. Yikes. That, yeah, I can imagine that throwing things off a little bit. So yeah. you're in these kind of outpatient programs. How long yeah. ago was this, by the way? Which part? Um, when, you know, when you were by the clinic and living by her and, and all of that. So we, she died around a year ago now. So... Wow. So how have things been for you in the past year? Um, so the past year, Baruch Hashem, I found a really, 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 I'm very lucky. I found a really, really nice family to live by um, in the center of Jerusalem. And I'm living by them quite a few months now, almost a year. And um, Baruch Hashem, I'm really doing much better. And I'm studying now. Um, I'm studying to be a social worker. I really want to go into psychology. Um, 
and I just feel like because of my experiences, I, I could help um, other people. Um, what drew you to social work? So I had a lot of experiences with social workers, good and bad. And I want to be a good social worker for those girls who need it, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. That sounds great. And it sounds like something that you'd be really good at, by the way. Thank you. So you are, you know, I'm not sure how to phrase this because I don't, I, I don't want this to sound callous or dismissive, but yeah. uh, do you think that, that your eating disorder is something that you'll ever be cured of? Do you think that it's something that is ever going to just go away? Um, that's a good question. And I can't really honestly tell you the answer because I'm not there and I don't, I think, I think it's, it, I'll tell you what, like, what happens to me, honestly, is like whenever, like, and you know, everybody has coping mechanisms. Sure. So this is my coping mechanism. Whenever I get stressed, I'm like, okay, I'm not eating. And then I feel better. So I think it's always going to be my coping mechanism. Um, but I know now how to deal with it. And how to eat, even though I have all these voices screaming in my head. And what, like, in, in the hospital, what they thought is that you feel, you have an eating disorder voice in your head. When you come into hospital, it's completely eating disorder voice. You just have to, you're just listening to that eating disorder voice the whole time. And it's telling you to not eat and to not nourish yourself and whatever. Um, and over time, you build another voice, a voice of, of you, your voice and how you're gonna fight back and how you want to live and how you are important. So building that voice is a huge step and learning how, like anybody, like um, I feel like it could get to a point when it's very dangerous and eating disorder, but it can also be something that you just deal with uh, uh, as, as a side and saying, I'm definitely not there yet. Um, I still find it very hard to, to eat. Um, intuitively and things like that um but I hope that one day I'll, I will get there and it will just be like like you say an unhealthy coping mechanism I need to learn with Le uh, I need to learn how to deal with and yeah be able that framing as an as a coping mechanism that that makes a lot of sense to me if yeah. if what, what do you wish people people like me who are kind of clueless when it comes to this stuff. Um, what do you, what do you wish we understood a little bit more about eating disorders? So I want you to understand that it's not really about being thin. I'm saying that's what, that's the side effect of it. That's the symptom of it. The real thing is a lot, the real, the real underlying issue is not really like who's going to be the thinnest. And who's, the real thing is for me anyway, that's how I feel. And I don't know, I can't talk for everyone because I only know my experiences. I mean, I know a lot of other people's experiences also because, of course, I've connected with a lot of people and I was in hospital with other people. Um, but for me, it's like a lot, like that you don't deserve the food, that you don't, you, you just feel like, you just feel so, so, so bad about yourself that you, you stop eating. And it's not like, a, like, you, like you asked me, like, how can you do it? You get hungry. You do it because it's not a, it's not like, oh, I'm, I want to lose weight. I'm going to be thin. I'm not going to eat. You do it because it's something emotional, something deep inside of you. Um, it's not a rational thing. If I was rational, it would be, you would be able to reason with me and to, to but it's not. 
it's not yeah it's obviously not rational to stop eating that's there's there's no universe where i think that makes any amount of sense but you understand that to me it makes a lot of sense because that's my coping mechanism that's how i deal with things okay i get it i think yeah that that okay yeah you're right the same way that like i can so easily say obviously it's not rational to eat that that makes sense to you that makes sense to you well of course if you're gonna you know if if you want to deal with whatever stress is happening around you then the way to deal with that is to stop eating that makes sense to me what is something what is a way if if there's somebody listening who either who let's say has someone around them someone who they're close to or or a loved one who is um who is suffering from an eating disorder what are if you can't rationalize with them and you obviously you want them to be well you want them to be doing better um what are some of the ways that that people can can better support those around them with eating disorders so every person is really 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 different it's very hard to say in general um i would say that the more they're saying you know, they don't need treatment and the more they mean it means they need treatment. Um, um, I'll tell you what, for me, like it, it got to a very bad point where I had to go to treatment. They tried to give me treatment earlier, but I just um, ignored it. I just decided I'm not going to it. Um, but, and it's, it's like, a, it's a shame that there's not a lot of places for girls who because um, eating disorders are a lot, um, people think eating disorders are, are a lot about that, the way a body looks and the way the body, um, um, if the, if the weight and everything. So if somebody doesn't look like they have, have an eating disorder, then they won't send them to treatment, which is a really big shame because it's like, a, if, if there was places like that, it would prevent a lot of people from becoming really, really sick and getting to dangerous points. I think there needs to be more of the what the clinic that I'm in right now. The clinic that I'm in is called Female. It's a very small um, private clinic for Haredi girls. Um, Haredi is religious. Religious girls, um, and it's it's amazing. But there, like, I had to come to Israel for that. There was nothing in England for me for that, like that. Um, I just think there needs to. Be like there should be more awareness of it more um yeah and like one thing my father always told me like um when I was struggling with at home um with eating he would he would he would do the meals with me because I had to be watched and um made sure like I had the right amount and everything and I would just get so upset and he would and I would just like break down and then he would come to me and tell me remember like god created you you're special there's a reason you're created and and you're loved um so and that just really gave me like um something like reassurance i don't know like that that i am loved and there's a reason why i'm here and and there's a reason why i'm going through all this and there's a reason like i mentioned earlier you reached out to me um, and said that this was a story that you wanted to share and that you wanted to um, and, that, and that you wanted to tell your story on a on a wider scale. Why was that important to you? Um, it's important it was important to me because um, it's it's such a um, there's so much stigma around this illness, ridiculous how much stigma there is. 
And I know that people have found it, found like when I ex told over my experiences, this is not the first time I'm doing it. Um, it, it helped them to, to feel more at peace with what they went through, to feel more confident in themselves that they're just, really they're just regular people and they just have a lot of emotional pain and um, it's okay. And I mean, it's not okay. Anything so is not okay, but um, that... Like you said, when we, the more that we talk about these things, the less stigma that there is around them, the more that we learn about these things, right. um, the easier it is to, to understand. And, and I'm so appreciate that you reached out and, and thank you for coming here and, and, and sharing sure. your story and sharing your experiences. If somebody wants to uh, learn more about you, Esther, or connect with you, where can they go? So I have an Instagram account. Um, it's called Capturing My Recovery. Um, I'm also a photographer, which also helped me a lot in my journey to express, because I'm very artistic, so I express a lot through my photos. Um, they, anybody's welcome to follow me there. Um, and yeah. Okay, great. The last thing that I want to ask you, Esther Rubenstein, is what I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is, to you, what does it mean to make an impact? To make an impact? Mm-hmm. Um, well, this this is the beginning of making of me making an impact. So um, thank you so much. I, I want people to just be more aware of these things. Like, it was so unaware. Nobody was aware of it when I was sick. It, it got so bad because of that. It's just, it should, just shouldn't be anymore. And also what I'm finding, especially on Instagram, there's a lot, not a lot of um, support for of Jewish girls with eating disorders, really not a lot. Um, so I wanted to make a safe place for people who are struggling, um, who could reach out to me, how we could, we could become a community and help each other. Um, so that's what it's for me to make an impact just because and also my goal always was like at the end of the day, I'm going to come out of this and I'm going to be able to help other people. And I'm going to be able to give other people chizuk, um, strength and yeah, and, and you're helping me doing that. So thank you. This is like fulfilling my dream in recovery. Like all the time I was recovering, this was my goal. Like, you know, I'm going to get to a point where I can do this. So thank you. Well, I am honored to be a part of that journey. Thank you so much for coming on today, Esther. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Esther, her information is in the show notes. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion. The clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 15 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.